Good morning. Do you guys hear something about this week? Um, long lineups at Starbucks wanting to buy their new coffee cup made by the Stanley Thermos Company. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't have all the information. I was thinking about that in worship and how um, <clears throat> we human beings we have a lot of cravings, don't we? We have a lot of <laughs> needs that we think maybe can be fulfilled in. Uh, a coffee cup, but really the only Stanley cup is something in connection with hockey, right? Not coffee. <laughs> but we not only have cravings for coffee, but we have cravings for cups. So we're going to be continuing uh, with our series on prayer and fasting today and talking about that and uh, our human cravings and why we need to uh, have seasons of prayer and fasting. And the first thing we've been looking at last week, the theme was on confession. And it's a time of confessing that we are humans who have this inner hunger that needs to be fulfilled. And then this week, we're going to focus on praise. And the, and the aspect of praise is, is declaring that God is worthy, that he is the only one that is capable of filling that empty void in our lives. And uh, we're approaching it with this prayer that goes like this, Lord, you are faithful even when my faith may waver. You are good even when evil is near. You are generous even when we feel loss. And you are consistent in an ever-shifting world. Thank you, Lord. Today I want to look at a scripture from the book of Psalms that's one of my favorite verses. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Living for God is supposed to work by soul delight. If you had to pick one word to describe what a relationship with God is like, what word would come to your mind that you might pick? Uh, there's a word in the Bible that I've been looking at and pondering for many years, and it's a word that seems to define for me and summarize God's wonderful plan of spiritual life, and it's the word taste. One place that this word appears is in this verse we read, Psalm 34, 8, that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And Peter used the word as well in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, where he said, For you have had a taste of the Lord's goodness, for you've tasted that the Lord is good. Isn't it an intriguing invitation that we are actually invited to taste the Lord? Wow, what's that mean? <laughs> the reason I like this word is the way that it describes how and suggests that it's possible for us to ex actually experience God as real and personable. And it's an invitation to discover in him something that satisfies the soul. The uh, dictionary definition of taste goes like this. That taste means to perceive by means of the tongue 
or to have a certain sensory experience in consequence of something that has been applied to the tongue. And I've been thinking about this for a long, long time. And I've come to the conclusion that the reason why we taste uh, and why God uses taste as an excellent metaphor to describe the kind of relationship that God wants us to enjoy with him is because he wants us to personally experience his presence in our life as livingly real. And I've come to believe that the word taste is a beautiful description of the way that our discipleship or the Christian life is supposed to work. It works by soul delight, by our hungers, our cravings, our longings and desires being satisfied in the Lord. Because a relationship with God is like getting a taste of something that is unmatched and incomparable in its goodness. And it's like getting a taste of something that is so amazing that it makes us hungry for even more. And it's a taste of something that even eliminates an appetite for lesser things. Isn't it interesting that when God describes the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us, he's chosen to use this metaphor of tasting. And he said that he wants to relate to us in a way that like we relate to the taste of food. The Christian life works by tasting the goodness of God. It's supposed to work by soul delight. Faith is actually more than just believing certain propositional truths about who God is, like things you see ink on paper that describe God. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's more to faith than just embracing propositional truths. There's an entering into a relationship of desire and hunger and longing and love that God wants us to have. And that hunger is our friend, hungering for righteousness and for God and God's presence in our life is all a part of what it means to have faith. What if God gave us the capacity actually to taste food so that we can understand what it's like to experience and know him? The God who is infinite, the God who is eternal, the God who is transcendent and mysterious above all and over all, that it's actually possible for us to experience him in a way that's like described by tasting. Tasting is a word that every one of us can understand and grasp. We know what it's like. It's a metaphor that means that God desires to satisfy the hunger of our soul. So I want to speak today about how the Christian life works by tasting the goodness of God and that how Christians grow by tasting the manifest presence of God. Disciples of God are tasters. Christians are tasters. I'm going to talk about tasting as a metaphor that explains the way that it is supposed to work. And I originally had like um, seven points. I disciplined myself to reduce it to six last night. 
But driving up here, I thought, I'll just, I'll just give two. <laughs> so we're going to limit it to two and maybe go on with the next, next week. But first of all, tasting is necessary because the human heart is hungry and needs to be filled. I mean, just look at the picture of people lined up at Starbucks wanting to get not just a cup of coffee, but a new coffee cup. Who needs a new cup? What is there in the human heart that thinks we need another coffee cup, right? <laughs> uh, it's just so human. It's just so human that we, we have a heart that is hungry, that we have cravings, we have longings, we have desires, and we think there's something out there that can fill it, that can meet it and satisfy it. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they shall be filled. In other words, our hunger needs to be satisfied in a right relationship with God, and that's what is truly filling and satisfying. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Isn't it interesting, I've always been curious about this, of how the Bible begins and ends. It is bookended on both ends, Genesis and Revelation, with a story about a tree of life that bears fruit. The tree of life is in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, and the tree of life is at the end of the book of Revelations. And the tree represents how God's eternal plan is to be for us a source of eternal life and blessing. The Apostle John wrote down a vision that he saw in the book of Revelation about this tree of life, and here's how he described it. He said, On either side of the river was there a tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God intends to heal our world, and it comes by some kind of aspect of tasting his goodness when people really discover and comprehend what God is like it brings healing to us so in the new fully redeemed earth that God is going to recreate when Jesus returns he will make it possible to experience his living presence without any sinful limitations or longings they will be fulfilled in him do you remember the story in the bible about God providing manna and quail for the children of Israel in the wilderness and have you ever wondered why God would not allow them to stockpile the manna and the quail to can it and, and save it for another day? It's really interesting. I think it's a really deep theological truth for understanding the way our relationship with God is supposed to work. He didn't want them to live off the memory of a stale provision or experience. You, you can't know God in a single act of coming to him and say, well, I, I, I read the Bible you know, 20 years ago, or I prayed a prayer, or, or uh, you know, I, I did this a long time ago. No, it needs to be every day we need to come to him for the fulfillment of our longings and hungers and cravings. Spiritual growth is an ongoing experience of, of fellowship with God and discovery and like, wow, God, you're wonderful. And, and he gives food for our soul for that day. 
There's a book called Befriending Your Desire that says, at the heart of it all, or rather at the heart of all of us is a center. At the heart of all of us is a center that is a point of intersection where our deepest desire and God's desire is met together and are found to coincide. That's a profound thought because it moves us to think about God actually having desires, God actually having longings. And for many years, I've been hearing something from the Lord. And I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. And I, and I have a longing and a hungering to arrive at what he's calling me to in a relationship with him. I'm hearing him say to me that he loves me a whole lot more than I think he does. <laughs> Are any of you in that place? You, you, know, you know he loves you more than you've yet comprehended. <laughs> that there's a depth of knowing how much God loves you and longs for you to desires to be really is calling for you to come and fellowship with him. And it's more than you can ever believe and comprehend. I have a whole bunch of books on my shelves about the Holy Spirit. And I love the title of one book that's called The Kiss of God that the Holy Spirit is the kiss of God, that he's the experiential part of the Trinity that wants us to know how much and how deeply we are loved by the Father. And Jesus prayed that we would know the love of the Father as he knows it. Jesus knows the Father's love, and that love exists within the the Trinity of the three persons. And Jesus prayed, oh, that they would know your love, even as we know that love. He's calling us into that love. And Paul prayed that we would know the love of the Father, the length, the depth, the breadth, the height of it. And then he says, and even be filled with the fullness of that love. So our capacity for knowing and comprehending and being, and, and being revealed that love needs to grow, right? And, and I have a hunger for it. Hunger is part of our, it's a gift. It's a part of our relationship with God. You don't have a relation, really, we don't have a relationship with one another, with anyone, unless there's mutual desire and affection for each other. You can't grow, you can't even be in relationship without desire and love and hunger. And if you stop hungering, then you stop tasting and discovering. And if you stop tasting, then you stop growing and being satisfied. Jesus said this is how we enter into his kingdom in which he pours out the blessings of his love. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after my righteousness, for they shall be filled. And David said, he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. The reason really why we do not see God um, is because of the faintness of our heart and our desire for him. There's a great little book called The Holy Longing written by Father Ron Rollheiser. And he said, quote, spirituality is ultimately about what we do with our desires. 
Spirituality is ultimately what we are doing with our desires. What we do with our longings, both in terms of handling the pain and the hope that they bring to us, that is our spirituality. It is about what we do with the fire inside of us. Well, we go to Starbucks and get another coffee cup. <laughs> That's how we fulfill that, that inner need that we have. John Piper wrote a book on fasting that he called A Hunger for God. And in the book, he says that hunger is the handmaid of faith. I had to look up what handmaid means. I, I would choose the word a different way. Maybe this is a good Alaskana way of saying it, that, that hunger is the trigger of faith. It, it's what triggers faith. Hunger is designed to lead us to God. It's an expression of faith. It's, our faith is expressed by hunger and desire. Oh God, I need you more. That I, I see you. This is part of what praise is about. Lord, you are who you claim to be. You are everything. You are everything. And, and there is nothing in this world that satisfies without you. That is part of faith. It is hunger and longing and desire for the Lord. Now, there's one more thing about spiritual hunger that I want to point out before we go on. And that is that hunger, if there's a hunger in you, that's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of lack of spiritual maturity or shallowness or immaturity or stunted growth. Hunger is a gift from God and it's a mark of deep faith. I believe one could argue that hunger is one of the highest forms of faith and spirituality. That's what the Bible means when it says, Lord, you said, seek my face, so your face, O Lord, do I seek. Listen to how David expressed his hunger. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. It seems like a paradox, doesn't it, that the more that we taste the Lord, the hungry, more hungry, the hungrier we get, the more of an appetite we get for that. Uh, that's the way it is with me. I mean, I've, I've had times in God's presence to where it's so satisfying, it's so wonderful to where um, I just want more of it. That's what that's what gives me a longing for what I come to the Lord to receive is, is the joy and the blessing of, in, of his presence where I discover his goodness and his love. And the more we respond to God's gift of hum, hunger, he makes us hungrier still. I, I believe that the strongest, most mature Christians that I've ever met are the hungriest for God. And I've had models in my life. I'm thinking of, uh, of an old pastor that I grew up who influenced me. His name was Donald Hardy up in Lake Placid, New York. And I'd go to the, our, our summer church camps up there. And I still can remember him worshiping the Lord, like as if he's not even aware or cognizant of anybody else around him. He'd be in worship and, and saying, oh, God, you're... Your presence is my paradise. <laughs> Your presence is my paradise, he would say. And there was something about 
His satisfaction in the Lord that gave me an appetite for that kind of relationship with the Lord. Because a relationship with the Lord comes by appetite of being, our desires being fulfilled in his presence. And that's why the Bible uses this word, taste the goodness of the Lord. So why then is it that sometimes we have less hunger for God than at other times? Well, there could be a variety of reasons. It could be health reasons, um, circumstances in our life. But normally, it's simply because we have overfilled ourselves with the little things of this world. Overfilled with little things. We meditate on Satan's sugar substitutes. (laughs) I love what John Piper said in that book I referred to earlier about A Hunger for God, his book on prayer and fasting. He said... If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply from his well of salvation and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. God will not... God did not create you for this. He put within you an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. And Piper says, I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of medicating your soul with the food and idolatry of the world and say to God, this much, O God, is enough, and I want you more than it all. (laughs) Discipleship works by hunger. The human heart is full of cravings and longings and desires, the need to be satisfied, and they can only be filled in God. But there's a second way in which this metaphor tasting shows us how the Christian life is designed to work. And secondly, I want to say that tasting God's love, in this way I've been trying to describe it, is only possible or has been made possible now because of Jesus Christ coming to our world. Our text in Psalm 34, 8 says that it is possible for the human to taste the divine. Think of how incredible that is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, it's possible for human beings like you and me to experience the divine presence of God. Only God can satisfy our hungers. And it raises a mysterious question of how us sinful human beings can actually have communion with a holy God. How is that possible? That this potential for human beings to have communion with a holy God is actually what the Bible describes as, or the Apostle Paul describes it as, the mystery of godliness. And here's the big picture, if I could just, in a short um, couple sentences, describe it to you of what happened, what, where our world is at. God, it originated by a longing and a desire that God had for fellowship. And so he created human beings. Yes, God actually has longings because he's a God full of love. And that love gave him a longing to have people who he could have be in relationship with and pour out his love upon. And so those desires and longings before all time to share his glory and his presence with other creatures caused him to create 
the world and us human beings made in his image and likeness. His longing was for us. Let the Holy Spirit sink that into your heart right now. His longing was for you. You are created because he has a longing for you. And he loves you. So he created mankind and invited us into fellowship with the Trinity. But Satan was jealous of this potential that we would have and this privilege that God would grant to humankind. And so he messed up God's plan through to temptation and successively, successfully caused Adam and Eve, our original parents, to fall short of this glory that was possible for us to live in and enjoy and be the beneficiaries of in the world. And quite literally then, Satan enticed Adam and Eve to taste something that was not designed to be their source of joy and life to fulfill them. And to make a long, tragic story short, the mystery of the ages, the question that even has the angels, the Bible says, whispering with wonder and amazement about is how will God redeem these human creatures who he created for fellowship to pour out his love upon? How is he going to do that? Because it's a moral impossibility for God to allow sin into his presence. Well, let me just give you the short answer that God made this mystery of godliness of how human beings and God could ever come together and enjoy a loving relationship with each other and dance together. God made that mystery of godliness possible, the mystery of how humans can taste the divine by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to our world. And he became like us he pitched his tent he became human and we can and and so Jesus he, he said a lot of things and one of the things he said is that that I came to show you the love of the father and John said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so we can taste the divine love because God so loved the world God had such a longing for the world the salvation story is a story of God's longings for us. So listen to what Jesus says about this. John 6, 57 says, The one who feeds on me will live because of me. John 6, 35 and 36 says, I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I think that's one of the most incredible, audacious claims that Jesus ever made. That it's actually possible for our hungers to be satisfied, our cravings to be quenched. Wow, never hungry and never thirsty. I want to be simple enough to embrace that and believe that and lean into that and hunger for that. Jesus again said in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then John 4, 
the words that he spoke to the woman at the well at Sychar, the Samaritan woman. He said, whoever drinks water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. It will become in him a spring of living water. So the divine life of God, the life full of love and blessing and goodness, the the life that the psalmist invited us into, oh, taste and see, discover and know that God is so good. That divine life is now made accessible to us so we can experientially know it in our inner knower through Jesus Christ. He made that possible. Jesus Christ is the only way that we can come to the Father, he said. No one comes to the Father yet through me. God's love was made possible only through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to end, conclude the service right now with communion. And what an awe. Wonderful opportunity to segue into communion, to let this memorial that Jesus gave to us be to us that experience of tasting and experiencing and believing and receiving the goodness of God that was given to us through Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask your blessing upon this time now as we come forward. I pray that it will not just ignite Um, or give us a basis for faith, but it will ignite within us a hunger and a desire to step into that kind of relationship that you gave us through Jesus Christ, of walking with you, of living with you, of abiding with you in the vine, of knowing your fullness and your goodness, of knowing your love, the, the capacity that passes all understanding, you said. Lord, we want that. We're hungry for that. And we come to you in this time of communion with hungry hearts. Lord, we give you our hunger. We bring to you our cravings and ask that you will fulfill them in a way that blows our mind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.